Outside the system and then some This is the mouthpiece of the natural earth forgotten At this point in time, humanity's been kept from the truth So Chanadown Radio offers the coordinates to a path out You're searching for something whole Cause what you see is real life You're watching this world unfold The truth beneath the lies Rekindling what's been stole The need to free one's mind Uncover the truth exposed So people see the light Let's shut it down so we can know It's simple, we just break it down a little bit So we can process all Make the switch and elevate yourself to conscious mode And it's beneficial, we can get this kind of road And get the future generations wanna stop the whole thing With the message demonstrated, we can start a post Taking in the simulating, getting lots of numbers Waking up the population, try to stop hypnosis Welcome to Chenet Down Radio. I'm your host, Loomis. ChenetDownRadio.com is the website. This is episode 120, and this is actually part of the Tell Live Visions Vision series. This is part 10, the 90s, the destabilization agenda. And so if you haven't got caught up on the series of shows, go to the website, go to series of shows, go through 1 to now 10. You don't have to, but it is uh, a little more beneficial, and it kind of takes you on a journey. Today I'm going to take you on a journey that I feel is an important component to understanding what's going on today by looking at the past. Uh, This episode dives a little bit into my personal past and upbringing and at the same time gives you the groundwork to today's madness that's been rolled out so you understand the path that got you here. And for my international audience, uh, this will not be uh, quite as relatable, but possibly just depends on the mind control you got because America is the media mind control capital of the world and it probably affected you too. So it's all important for everyone, but I can only relate to my upbringing being in America, but I think that all of you got traces or segments or or part, particles of this mind control. And as far as uh, listening to all my shows like this, it's always good to take it in parts. Take a break, come back to it, that kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of information and meat in this show, but at the same time, helps you uh, get on the understanding of what the 90s did to the population of now. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, go to the website, go to the support page, put a tip in the jar, buy an album, or join Patreon. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com backslash Loomis. And if you want to get a hold of me, always, it's peoplebeyondthis at gmail.com. And I can always take your emails and I'll get back to you. All right, well, enjoy the show.
So the 90s, the destabilization agenda. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s, but I grew into my being in teenage years in the 90s. So it, it's um, more of an important time in my personal life because I had more awareness than being just a child in the 80s. It always, it's always hard to look at where you are at in a time period till you can look back at the whole thing and see what it, exactly it is. Let me let me say that I, I love the 90s. Some of my fondest memories are in that, that decade. All in all, it was a great decade. I mean, great movies and music came out of this decade. Regardless of the mind control that I'm going to get into, lots of originality came out, and it was cool too. And I came into my being, and, and it was where I got into music, which allowed me to pour my creative self into a, a medium that eventually helped me express the message that I speak today. So all in all, it was really good. And I remember enjoying uh, life outdoors. If if you played, you played outside, and and I'm that's what kids did, you know, before all this technology came about. And there was Nintendo games and stuff like that, Sega, but uh, not to the point where it it immobilized people for for the entire day. Uh, you know, the 90s were a lot of things. Uh, overalls with one side down were in style. The the faded ones, too. Uh, I remember the Arsenio Hall show was on TV. And everybody would go, woo, 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 woo. I remember that. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player in the world. In, in mainstream, MC Hammer was a commercial pop star, like ridiculously, like a big deal. People wore MC Hammer pants, Reebok pumps were in fashion, uh, the rich kids had Nike Air Jordans, you know, you had the Fisherman hats were a big style, uh, I remember clear corded phones, so the corded phones, but you could see where you could see all the, the circuitry inside, that was like a, a, a fad, and the TV show Friends was on TV, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Seinfeld, uh, pagers were big, cell phones the size of your shoe, huge ones, cassette tapes, movie stores, VHS tapes, uh, the list goes on. Uh, 1991, I was hanging out with my friends at, at a park listening to hip-hop after school, eating candy, junk food, chasing girls we had crushes on. And that's what, uh, that's a compila compilation of, of things that remind me of this time period and what I would hear going on. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was that time. Now, um, 1991, I wrote my first verse of a song after rewriting a song by Public Enemy, or a verse by Public Enemy, and I think it was, uh, Young MC, and I copied the rhythm and just changed the words to my own, and that's that was the beginning of when I started doing hip hop. I started to you know write rhymes then, and that can be you know further explored in episode twenty three, a look into hip hop. You know, I I mean I remember drinking Snapple. Remember that uh, Snapple had all these flavors back then, and listening to groups like Diggable Planets when they came out. I got into underground hip hop, and that was my journey. And I wasn't always awake to what I know. And I, I too was just like everybody else. And I too went through the programming and everything. And um, 
it it's and so that's just a, a, a stroll down memory lane and that's not what this this episode's about at all but I just kind of wanted to set the stage of the flavor of this time in case you did not grow up in this time or in case you're older than me and you didn't you gloss through this time this was my particular little time capsule but this is this is about the manipulation this is about the the creation of culture and this is the Tell Live Vision Vision series, so this is all about that. But, you know, it's really going to be interesting to look at what these modern times look like in hindsight. I mean, we already have some things that, which, that we can look at now, but it's always the hindsight 2020 scenario. And, and I'll get into a little bit at the end of what, you know what has led up to now. So, But the 90s were an extreme time. We're, we're going to go on this episode, we're going to go on a journey here. We're, we're going to look at the backstory to this and, and later take this at the end to modern day. It, 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 so, of, of course, the focus is the 90s, but it's always important to look at how we get places in society. We need to look. We need that that long scope of history, not and not look at things in just isolation. To understand the stepping stones between places, so we know where we get, we how we got here, and where we're going, and all that. And the problem is, most people in society just believe that we, you know, in this time, got here through a natural evolution of events evolution of, of technology, evolution of, of society as a whole, evolution of culture, urban culture, pop culture, what you name it, evolution of one thing turning into another and another and morphing in, into uh, something that slowly making a path of this slow change until we beca- we became what it is, everything became what it is today. And, and ask most people and they'll say, Oh, we just sort of got here. You know, they don't they don't think twice about it. And the problem is with that is that we have social engineers. We have culture creators and mass planners. People that pass the torch of one work onto the next because this is this is a a a, a huge plan and people behind the scenes they're playing the long game. They don't care. This is a this is a a, a heartfelt of work in their eyes. Even if it seems evil and corrupt, it is. But it's their eyes of planning society. People actually do that. And most people can't get into that mindset because they don't, they don't believe in that because they can't get into that mindset themselves. But they were not brought up in these families that, that think they have the divine right to rule. And most people haven't looked into the Tavistock Institute or the Frankfurt School or MK Ultra. Most people haven't read the writings of these people, so they just take it at face value, and they just they just think that it's just how we we just got here magically, and they give us they gave us the TV, and look what happened since that came into the home. They gave us mind control in our living room. And all it takes is like eight seconds to slip into alpha state. We've gone over this before, and and which which is your brain on idle, where it's in a highly suggestible state with your conscious filters off, just letting yourself go. And look at look at the forties, the nineteen forties and before. 
uh, no major changes in the family unit, you know, not much, right? That would have been natural evolution. Most people were on the same page, you know? Most people were on the, the same level. In the 1950s and early 60s, well, that's when the TV came in the home. And it wasn't all that bad at first. It, it was mostly innocent. Then, then it's like something flipped. You, you can compare it in movies. Look at movies in the early 60s and then look at the late 60s. A decade like that is like, almost like it got cut in half and it's like two different worlds. Massive leaps in culture change. In those 10 years, a massive, massive music advancement and there's no way a culture can change this quickly, naturally. Not without help from TV in the house and music creating a subculture and those two things combined, just alone, are so powerful. The rebellion of the youth from the parents. Just think about the power of that alone. That those two things have. That those things could change everything that quick. And so, um, this MK Ultra was working in full force for the first time. And the kids raised by the TV were groomed to be the first in major mind control. And it swept through. Uh psychedelics changed humanity too. And as much as I condone the careful spiritual use of psychedelics, it can also be used as mind control and experimentation too. Uh, because there are states you can get in and, and if you're not prepared for the trip and you're still trying to connect with the system then you can definitely be messed with. Sure, the good things are that they can shed the system in your mind and show you the world, show you how the world really is. And I think the elite didn't know these shamanic plant and plant derivatives would really work. Uh, they didn't know how they would really work. So the unexpected part was that it created more conscious minds, and, or at least that way in some people. And, you know, and hippies who wanted to be free and quit the system, which is on the right path, right? Uh, whatever this was, this, this hippie, this rock and roll revolution, it created an offshoot of society that had some good intentions from these substances and amazing music, but those more or less innocent psychedelics and, and smoke and weed and everything created an appetite in people to just be free and get high. And of course, that's, that's not a very very productive mode if you still have to live in the system but that appetite for getting high was easy to grab an already destabilized group of young people to want the hard man-made substances that were introduced by the CIA you know such as cocaine heroin uh, lots of pills and later uh, the more highly synthetic substances like uh, meth and crack and so then the 70s, the 1970s, extended that getting high culture. The adult movie industry also began around that time. And the debasement of culture all around, you could see it in some movies. Some movies just kind of pushed sort of perverted uh, views. You know, you could see it was changing if you know what to look for. Mainstream culture started to get perverted and, and uh, you know, what people thought was funny and stuff like that. The CIA pushed and took hold of, of civil rights movement uh, during this time. And not to say that, that, that there wasn't some things that were good, 
but they 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 hijacked them, right? And and you know during the seventies the people raised good good kids and bad kids. I mean, like any generation, but morality in the general public started to dwindle a little, and the prices of living went up, and women's rights are important in, in that whole feminist thing. But in the beginning. You know, for legitimate reasons, but the feminist movement was hijacked. Got the the mother working out of the house to get the kids in the school earlier, to tax the other half of the population that wasn't getting taxed to fund things that we are funding today, such as black operations that are happening right over our heads. And all funded by, the whole feminist movement was actually funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, which helped fund people like Gloria Steinem and uh, other people like that. So what happened, though, is by taking the woman out of the household, divorce really went up. Divorce went up, and especially in the 80s, when you move into the 80s, the broken family, both parents working, kids being raised by the state, so much more uh, away from the, the parent units and the TV and right in front of their face. And what, what, a, you know, what a far cry from hippies for peace and love and, and abandoning the system and freedom. I mean, what a far cry in, in just a little bit of time. Like, just like the actually, you know, less than, less than 20 years, or you could just say even 10 from the end of the 60s to the 80s. And what a transition, another non-natural transition, not without these kind of things. And so the next generations were all raised on an advancement of that foundation of both parents working, kids being raised by the state and raised by the TV. And MTV was a massive mind control program that introduced that was introduced in the in the 80s. And I went over that that in in this this in another part of this series. So you know, like I said, it's good to listen to them all. Uh, and that's what fused the TV and music mind control together and made them such a powerful force making the, the music video and such a powerful culture creating machine and so powerful that subcultures were, were formed from TV culture and music culture. You know, some innocent, some not. But you need to know this history in order to figure out how things went where they went. So that's how we get this compilation of, of steps here. So... The 90s. So, um, this is after the decade when MTV was introduced, music videos and serious attitude towards parents were pushed through, and parents weren't as strict in a bad way, everyone was busy at work, music mind control really ramped up, and morality was at an all-time low. I mean, I remember, um, I, I kind of remember even maybe a transition a bit, uh, growing up was rough. It was not cool. I mean, maybe just in my circumstance, but it, it was not cool to be nice. Being nice was considered, like, wrong almost. It was, it was cool to be dysfunctional. And I remember seeing a mix when I get into my teenage years I, I, and, and high school and, and middle school and those years, I remember seeing a mix of two to three music things in the pop culture growing up. One of them was gangster rap, promoting violence and wicked mentalities. And I'll be talking about that a lot more in a minute. Uh, and metalheads, uh, you know, heavy metal. Kids were, kids were wearing uh, five-pointed star necklaces and listening to bands like Slayer and Metallica and 
a lot of these really hard death rock, death metal bands, not so much Metallica, was, but Slayer was, and becoming these, these wannabe Satanists or possibly real ones from that. You know, that was kind of a gateway for that avenue. Uh, more the white kids, I would say. And, and then there was, there was grunge music that popularized, popularized drug use like heroin and just sort of this, uh, this new style. And, and I just remember plaid being a, a, a common theme Everybody wore plaid, even out of all those three different music genres. I, I remember seeing plaid on all kinds of people, just a style, I guess. And, and this is the time that the elite were really brewing the secondary psychopaths out of society. The heat turned up. You know, 90 degrees in Fahrenheit is usually a little too uncomfortable. And here we are. It's like the 90s. They turned the heat up to the 90s. And saying that, you know, uh, occasional, like for language, for example, occasional cuss words in the 80s, you know, it was ramping up, but it wasn't like it was in the 90s. Well, you know, occasional cuss words went into talking constantly with cuss words to a very uneducated, degraded speech, and society didn't care anymore. It was like, it was like, you know, people couldn't really talk and still today that's the case with some people it's like they can't even they can't even talk without cuss words and you know i don't really care about cuss words i cuss on the show but to you know you can tell that people are degraded when they don't know how to speak without it a bit they've been they've been bred that way and that's a common trait from this time period i remember um and movies went from violent to ultra-violent. You know, the 80s had some pretty violent movies, but the 90s, it ramped it up. Movies like Pulp Fiction, sort of putting violence in, in, a, in a mob world in a funny light, so you sort of laugh at the shocking ways of it. It's like, you sort of laugh at it, but you take it in at the same time. And in, in, in what I saw a lot of is, instead of as many fist fights, people were getting shot. And this brings me to the wannabe gangster movement. So... The wannabe gangster movement of America is a huge mind control program, and it really took a lot of people. I don't find that many other people have have, uh, really questioned this or um, talked about it at all, but I, I sure, I guess I'll be the first person to bring it up, but the wannabe gangster movement of America, see, hip hop music had become popular into the mainstream. And it was time for the elite to step in and really control it. I mean, uh, and take it a direction, a weaponized direction. NWA came out, and they came out in 1986. Uh, since I did episode 23, I, uh, which is a look into hip-hop, I've, I've changed my mind about, about them. Uh, and also after seeing the movie Straight Outta Compton. Uh, I, I said before that I, I thought that they were just reporting to the pub, public what life was like in the hood, and that was the beginning of gangster rap. And it basically, uh, that, you know, and that people took it out of proportion and overreacted to, you know, that. But, and some of the first gangster rap was just that, but reporting, you know, like reporting from the hood, basically. But, when big money is behind it, and that that says something. So, gangster rap was brought into 
into it. And it, it, it wasn't just NWA. It, it definitely started there, but an explosion came of gangster rap. It started coming out. Not all was part of an agenda, but I think most of it was. And it got real dark. Um, and this episode, I'm not going to talk about all the different groups, but I, I, I could go on for hours on that, and I can make the show just about this solely, but um, I'll do, this is just a little bit of a understanding of it. Music and movies really played a role into this agenda, uh, definitely. Uh, some of the groups, though, back in the day, of course, were NWA. The Ghetto Boys, Ice Cube, which when he broke off of NWA, Ice-T, uh, and there was a few, you know, a few others in the very beginning, and and really, this it had kind of a, a limited role in the late 80s to mass listeners, this gangster rap. In fact, it was semi-hard to find these groups because they had cuss words on their albums, and, and, they, and that was a big deal back then, and, and you couldn't just get it at any store, and they weren't being played much on TV because of those reasons. So, um, but it all has to do with a history of things, you know, as as I have to say, we have to know the long view. And when Bush Sr. and the CIA introduced crack cocaine to the inner city in the early 80s, the dope game destroyed the inner city so much harder. It just, it just tore, tore it apart. And gang violence was rampant, turf wars, etc., all that. Already having black exploitation films create an appetite for hard drugs in the hood in the 70s, pushing basically... Uh, that's cool to do a little bit of coke or something, and it created a landscape for it all. So movies started to push it out, made it popular, and and then further the popularization of the thug life. Movies back then uh, that did this was movies like Colors, and that was the first one I remember, and that was late 80s, but it definitely uh, kind of whetted the appetite for the public to see a little more of this, and then other people that uh, got involved were, were um, you know, people that were definitely working for an agenda, such as Mario Van Peebles, and he came out with the, the, the movie New Jack City in 1991. And then Boys in the Hood came out, and that was a major catalyst. Although the movie itself was good, and there was even good messages in it. I actually think it's a good movie as itself, but it was a major catalyst into everybody wanting to be a gangster. And then you had mindless movies come out like Menace to Society, Juice, South Central, New Jersey Drive. And these movies, especially the early ones, they reached everyone. It wasn't just like this little, this little enclave, this little uh, part, portion of the population. It was all the kids. They were, a lot of them were liking it. And promotion of the thug culture. And I remember around 1992, it was kind of a turning point in hip-hop. Good rappers started to do gangster stuff. Like one one minute they're they're doing the Running Man, um, and and uh, wearing overalls, and that's flipped another flip. And these are no these are these are unnatural flips. This is what the record labels would do. They probably would pay them more. So Boys in the Hood came out, and then everyone wanted to be a gangster, and and it's not even that they wanted to be. They, it's that they actually thought they were. A, a culture suddenly debased a morality, sprung up out of homes that had no inherent problems, and, and, and it just happened like that. I remember my friend's older brother. He became a gangster. 
it was like he was possessed by the role. You know, like when, when actors and actresses get stuck in the role, you hear about that sometimes where they, they can't like get out of it after they've been shooting for a while. Well, it's the same sort of thing, but this they forgot he, he forgot he was acting, and he thought he was so badass. And he was because he had to constantly prove it, but he 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 rolled uh his whole life around and and made it that and uh you know, wannabes have to work even harder. Well, you know, if he he went into a real hood back then, a real neighborhood with the real gangsters, he'd be shot in an in an hour. Actually I would have given him a half hour or even twenty minutes. You know, people like that. Um but yeah, you know, there was this transition, rappers like Tupac, who came from Digital Underground as a dancer, and he went gangster, you know, and he went solo and became this huge gangster influence, you know, he was thug life, right, I mean, you know, as as some people like to defend him, I, I'm, I never really listened to him that much, to be honest, I already had gotten into underground hip-hop by the time he got big, but 1993 is the year when Dr. Dre came out with The Chronic, and that's when Gangster hit full steam. It's almost like it became a, a pop culture trend at that particular time, and it definitely was one of the major trends of the 90s, is, was Gangster Rap. And this, and this was all an agenda, too, because it helped fill these private prisons. And, I mean, this wannabe gangster movement, it swept through small-town America. It was cool to be a gangster. And I, and I noticed that after Boys in the Hood came out, I started to meet what people call wiggers, you know, white people talking like black folk. And um, I I just, it especially on the U.S. mainland, small towns, I, I would, you know, see people like that. And I, I went, I, I couldn't believe it because, you know, I, I've been involved with hip-hop for, you know, a long time, as, as I've said, and I never once tried to talk like a black guy. It's just like, you don't do that, you know? But anyway, uh, I went to a really small town in Washington State, and I may have told this on the show before, but, uh, and I watched a white kid walk with a fake pimp limp, like, you know, he, it was fake, and he talked just like a black guy. And think about this, if he had been cut off from any media, music, movies, etc., who would he be? Who would this guy be, you know? Nobody like that. He, he, he's probably never even met black people only seen him on TV or, you know, very rare. So it was really, really, uh, pretty humorous back then to see that. But ultimately, what is the, what is this, the fruits of this? I mean, what are the traits of gangster types? Okay. Um, well, intimidation, extortion, vandalism, theft, assault, drug trafficking, stabbing, shootings, uh, any rape, um, you know, out for self, survival of the fittest, and what happens to people who live this lifestyle? Well, they die young. They they die young. They get hooked on drugs, alcohol, go to prison, uh, all of that. And and who are these people in society? They're not good people. They're people that are not stable. They're not people that should be raising kids in society and pushing and promoting future human beings on the planet because they're debased human beings, you know, degraded humanity but yeah so this this is the 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 level of of uh consciousness that was at this particular time 
really dark and brought down. So as much fun as I had in the 90s, there was this going on too. Uh, listen to Dr. Dre, The Chronic, and listen to the lyrics. Stay in, nigga. Rest at that, that great at night with my jet on the streets of LA. Wondering what a pussy at. Straight way up, looking for a hoe. Hanging out, rolling in my six fold. Sixteen switches for the niggas in my hood. Seventeen shells, so I make it understood. Stay back, lay back, way back in the cut. You come outside, nigga, you're getting fucked up. I done told ya, creep, creep your best move like Luke the Vandross. I'm fucking up the West Coast. I'm right back up in your when you're nut. One, two, three, nut from the DRE. But this is for the hoes that I used to know when I didn't have my 64 and a lot of dough. I keep it like this and like that. And I never hesitate to put a nigga on his back. And that's just Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre really what. I mean, there's way more evil gangster rap. Dr. Dre was just palpable, more tangible for mainstream listeners. The beats were good, and it was and it was likable enough. Um, and it doesn't mean that everyone who listened to it became a gangster. In fact, it, it's it's so many varying degrees of different people that listen to music like this. What what happens though is people take on traits that may intrigue or agree with them slightly, and and you take these on through life, not realizing. I mean, but, you know, what happens to a carload of teenage boys rolling around, bumping gangster rap, got their guns, you know, in case there's any trouble, singing along with the music, you know, bumping it really loud, you know, and and pumping that adrenaline, and along comes some other carload of similar people doing the same thing next to them at a stoplight. Everyone's ready for beef. I mean, it's the perfect formula for dysfunction and and destruction right there. It, it took me personally, too, years to self-analyze myself and realize that I took on traits and attitudes from listening to music that didn't promote the best consciousness. Because in the early 90s, I was listening to Ice Cube. I was listening to the Ghetto Boys, Too Short, and a little later, Outkast, uh, and... You know, I found underground hip-hop, which helped. But, yeah, so, I mean, being from the hip-hop scene in the early 90s, you might wonder, you know, how I didn't go gangster or how, you know, how that worked with me being in the hip-hop scene. And I was lucky to find underground hip-hop, which offered a different perspective. Because what happened is it was where the real raw elements of the art form went. The very early 90s, there was still some really good, really good, artists that were even mainstream that ended up having to go underground and I, I would actually have to say that some of the best underground came from the LA underground you had the the above ground you know gangster stuff like I just showed you but then you had a whole different scene coming from the Good Life Cafe see the movie This Is The Life this is a really good documentary that shows you the raw talents that were put into a place that had rules that you couldn't cuss, you couldn't, um, there, there was a, a few rules to the place where it promoted creativity, plus it was a health food store, so it promoted health in this community, and so it was, um, and it was in, you know, South Central LA, and the artists that came out of there were amazing, and way ahead of, even now, they're way ahead of the, now, and so that's where the real raw skill and real talent 
came from uh, in in that region at least um, and so that saved many people's lives because the real underground said there's there's gangsters doing their thing but we don't have to do that and so but in the real early 90s I was going around with friends doing stupid things uh, you know stealing people's car emblems uh, it was popular in probably 1992 to to wear those around your neck like Mercedes or BMW you know just stealing car emblems throwing rocks at cars uh, you know getting away with with stuff uh, because your peers, you know, would give you peer pressure. You had to. So, you know, I was doing stupid stuff like that. And I, too, listened to a variety of bad influences and hung out with friends who had bad influences. And and so that stuff took a long time to filter out of me. Not until the late 90s when, when I, I got into psychedelics did that really change who I am and help me to become you know, even more different than a lot of even underground hip hop because I just sort of grew right out of it consciously because it just it just worked that way and you know to that's my trail and so um, but the wannabe gangster movement was a major mind control program and if you if you look at it just look at it how it happened so so what we're ultimately looking at is the destabilization agenda now that's my path that's my little path and that's not necessarily other people's paths probably most not most people's paths that went through the 90s but there were other destabilization paths too such as some people that came from listening to heavy metal got into you know different things such as satanism or or just uh, you know uh, any sort of subculture that promoted anything that was low morality and low consciousness and it was it was all over the place. Whatever genre of music, whatever style, it was coming through a lot. And the people that are my age group are now raising kids and have been, and they came from this generation of very low morality and out for self culture. I mean, look at Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead were not just made up characters, they were based on real kids that the creator Mike Judge knew of. And he. he actually met kids that he based those characters on and kids don't actually become that without that trail of destroyed family unit drug and alcohol abuse and low morality that i've already laid out on this show and we are we are living in a purposely created dysfunctional society it wasn't by accident it's not just a byproduct like oh yeah it just happened you know those people just fell off the deep end no 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 my generation doesn't know shit about world history either and it was always just people caring about the now and that's how i would say from my generation till now people don't have much knowledge of of the past beyond where they got interested in things you know they only they only have from like the 90s to now like i remember kids not having no knowledge having no history knowledge of music or movies of the past either so i remember people around me hearing samples in hip-hop songs that they thought were just riffs or rhythms that the producer just made up on his own but really they were just samples from people like james brown that and a lot of people didn't even know they have a music background you know dumbed down people with no direction and that's what came out of the destabilization agenda 
So we have now large swaths of the population that are completely dumbed down and dysfunctional. Want to be gangsters or just products of bad sources of morality of whatever, whatever genre or subculture created it. I mean, street kids, you know? I remember larger and larger numbers of kids hanging out on the streets, downtown places, and, and lost kids. They, they drink and get high all day, just hang out, came from bad households and situations. This is a byproduct of the drug-filled generations before. It's the dumbed down, raising the dumbed down, raising the dumbed down. And, you know, watch the movie, um, watch the movie called, I think it's just called Kids, yeah, kids, that'll just show you, that's right, yeah, it'll show you the dumbed-down people. And another one um, it, recently that I saw, this sort of spurred me to actually do this whole talk a little bit anyway, it was called, it was a movie called Mid-90s, and I think it was pretty accurate, again, to just kids hanging out, kids that don't have, you know, uh, uh, kids out of broken families just hanging out and and, and not have not having any any structure but dysfunctional to to lift off of and m- many people might just say a lot of people probably would say it's, it's just people that are raised poor and they have no education or opportunity but morally people don't get that way without media manipulation and also add in the scarcity but you know this is this is a different uh problem than you see in third world countries go to third world countries yes there's violence in some places that have drug cartels and and you know there's some bad spots for sure don't doubt no doubt but places that are just poor you know a lot of these places still have culture and um generally cultures that are that are not corrupted by radical religious beliefs or drug kingpins are are some of the most humble people in the world they just don't have a lot they don't care they're happy pretty much the way they are you know um and so these street kids they got large groups of kids to to die early or become street kids uh and go to prison or or one of those things i mean i've known so many of these street kids that have died from drug overdose or been shot or kill themselves and think about this time compared to the 1950s when the tell lie vision came into the home think about that uh, 40 years and everyone's that dysfunctional stuff like that was unheard of in the 1950s and now it's like it's just how it is and so in the 90s a lot of things were pretty crazy and it really spurred a lot of of dysfunctional types that will never be able to come out of it. And, you know, you hear about people like, it was the 60s, you never came out of the 60s, well, the 90s, the heat was turned up. And things were cooking. So another thing that ramped up in the 90s was uh, PC. That's when political correctness really began to show its face. Uh, you you could say that it started when the civil rights movements were active and then they got co-opted, but barely barely noticeable and, and subtle. And then in the 90s, 
it just hit a, a ramp and just started to really rise up. This was the time that tons of effort was put into schools to teach that rhetoric. You know, things were always uh, kind of subtle at first. Things are always like that, and then and innocent at first. I mean, racial equality is good, and I agree, and very important, but how can you truly teach it? it it's, I think it's more of a, a natural process that has to work its way through. I remember first it was racism-free zones in schools, and it's a nice idea, but what did it really do? This is when the term, that's racist, started. I remember that. And so um, people started to identify by race. And where did they learn this from? Media programming. Exactly. You know, what I mean is like, I'm Chinese, I'm Filipino, I'm black, I'm Mexican, I'm Samoan, I'm white, I'm yellow, I'm gray, I'm Nordic, I'm, I'm reptilian. No, but, you know, or it's just, it's just, it was this time where everybody's, oh, now they're going to um, identify, instead of integrate, totally, st- instead become these people that stick out from integration or it was because I'm this race or that race and, and that I'm this or that. And, you know, it, it all became these different, um, these, different, these different ways that people identified with themselves. And didn't anyone take in MLK's words at heart? I mean, Martin Luther King, don't judge me based on the color of my skin, but on the content of my character. And I found that when teachers said, uh, celebrate diversity, that it just pointed out how different everybody was instead of a natural integration. And that's because it's part of a global agenda and it's not being done organically. And you can feel it. You can feel when something's not organic, when it's forced, you can just feel it. And I like to use Hawaii right here uh, as an, an example of race integration that worked properly and naturally. You know, everyone naturally married into other races without this PC. It didn't exist. I mean, this is this is 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, the races of Hawaii are, um, you know, very di- diverse mix of everybody. I've gone over this before on the show, but the Hawaiian people are just a small part of Hawaii because they were the indigenous people. Uh, no thanks to vaccines and things like that, wiped out from diseases. And, and then everybody coming into work in the industries like sugar and pineapple, which brought people from around the world, from China, Japan, Korea, uh, Portugal, Spain, the Philippines, Puerto Rico. uh, And those people married Caucasians as well as Samoans and Tongans and and a lot of island groups. And today, anyway, everybody's a big mix of those people. And naturally, they they integrated. And there is racism here, and and it's usually toward toward the white people, and, and that's not good either, but Hawaii also had a different way of dealing with it, and it didn't, and still does today, really, I mean, of dealing with, like, joking. Uh, people joke about racial stereotypes, and they, they don't really get offended. I mean, I'll give you an example, like, you know, I'm a hard worker because I'm Filipino, but I talk too much because I'm Portuguese, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's just, um, nobody gets offended PC never really hit here the same. It just it didn't it didn't work because it didn't need to be here and it and it doesn't need to be anywhere. But it really didn't it didn't do the same thing. Of course, um, I mentioned how there is <clears throat> racism against the Caucasian people in Hawaii, and that's well from you know uh, unfortunate uh, 
backgrounds of, of like many places where Caucasians took over and now everybody's upset. But the, the word Haole, which is, is to describe a Caucasian person in Hawaii, is really just um, more of a mindset than a race. But anyway, sidetrack, but just showing you the integration was natural here and it, and it is more and more natural at the time. In the 90s, the PC propaganda didn't really sink in here because of its, its already developed racial assimilation. But the rest of the world, it was all over the place. And still, it, it did come through because of the news and the, and the media and everything. But, but on the news and in mainland America, there was, there was like in the 90s, witch hunting over racist and sexist people. And the media was obsessed. It was always trying to point things out. And I noticed in the movies, there was a turning of the tide, and it wasn't to help an integration of minorities into white society. It actually did the opposite and separated everyone, and now everybody's trying to, you know, trying to fight against this this imaginary power when the real power is, you know, much deeper than that. And this was by design for these times we're going through now. So here's the thing. I mean, really, here's the thing. Wherever you live, there's a majority. I don't, you know, wherever you are, everyone is going to feel left out and different if they're not part of that majority. It's just the way that it is. The majority decides what type of life is going to be lived in a place. I mean, if you go to, for example, if you go to Egypt and you're Chinese, you're not going to feel like the Egyptian culture, but because you are there, you have to yield to that majority race. And it's just the way it is. I mean, major efforts were done to curb, uh, the voice of black America and the crack that had been introduced to these communities and destroyed them back in the 80s and the 90s. And this is, I mean, this is around the time in the 90s of the L.A. riots. If you look at the history of the L.A. Olympics and the introduction of crack into black neighborhoods, there were reasons back then to riot, really, and a martial law like police state presence was brought into these L.A. neighborhoods in 1984, which upset many residents, and they, many were arrested and treated unfairly, uh, even though the community was in shambles from crack cocaine. It was just, there was a lot of problems. Now, um, in 1991 or two, I, I guess it was 91, when the Rodney King beating took place, that was just a a media cover version of what really went on anyway all over all over and all of the time really in these communities um and i have i have uh associates and friends from south central la that will tell you about it they can tell you you know this stuff went all the time it's not like it was just this one isolated incident of rodney king and and now they call it south la to try to revive the bad name and god but really it it's it's um the same place so why did the media cover this to you know it was to instigate this riot you know let let the cops off the hook and cause a situation to become a media focus from from there and, and have a, a a carpet to roll out this pc agenda more it, it it was all by design and you know pc never stopped the crime in these neighborhoods look at chicago now and it's sort of a a, a problem reaction solution to it all so in, in um, I remember in 1994, when O.J. Simpson was being charged for murder, anyone who thought he was guilty back then was considered racist, which has nothing to do with it. I mean, it's just, it's a human being. You know, we're not talking about a whole community here, just one guy. 
could they could have made a mistake. And we have to isolate everything and judge each situation as its own. But what happened is they, they polarized everyone, the media, and they made popular opinions. And, they, and um, you know, the, these popular opinions pigeonhole everyone. They put you here or there. And that's what they do today. And I, I've called it, uh, I mean, it's, some people call it race baiting, but it's really just the game of separation and playing everyone off on each other while real serious issues fly by our radar right over our heads. I mean, it's, it's so we don't all unite for these serious issues under one cause, and that's ultimately rising against the entire system of slavery. That's where we need to be looking at here. But at, anyway, in, in the 90s, but after the, the L.A. riots, I, I think gangster rap really kind of got off the hook. And the following year, Dr. Dre's Chronic came out, and it could just be coincidence, I'm not sure, but... You know, the, 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 just the fact that, you know, the whole gangster thing never stopped and it didn't, this, this whole, uh, riot didn't bring attention to that much. It just, uh, kept escalating through the media, the popular culture and other things too were going on too. Uh, lots of experimentation, many really sugary foods were introduced and, uh, processed foods like Lunchables or, or, uh, Crystal Pepsi. I remember, you know, the clear Pepsi. And, and then TV shows like Married with Children and The Simpsons and Living Color came out, all on Fox, by the way. And then and then South South Park, too, another one. And none of this could have come, even come in the 80s. It was like the next step and breeding grounds, uh, the, next, the next phase of experimentation. I mean, think about TV. In the in the early '60s, couples on TV shows slept in separate beds. Then look at Married with Children. Look at that. I mean, look at look at that. This short amount of time, you know, and just what a what a world twist. Uh, new moral lows were brought in. I mean, even the president busted on national TV for getting a blowjob from a girl. He inserted a cigar in, and you know, uh, this was the externalization of sick and disgusting hidden worlds that has always been behind the scenes but they let it out on purpose you know and now it's it's more even more accepted now not you know more people know about it it still goes on and always did and i mean and look at how they portrayed the kid from terminator 2 if you've seen that before uh, that was an archetype of kids really out there at that particular time. I, I mean, um, that was like, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of, you know, messed up kind of kids that were raised in single family homes or, or with no parents in his case and just kind of going around causing trouble. That was a lot of kids that I knew. Uh, also, an, another thing that was started in the 90s were talk shows. Maybe started in the late 80s, but really got big in the early to mid-90s, such as Oprah, um, Donahue, uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, Geraldo, uh, Maury Povich. And what this was, it was like pre-reality show. These shows programmed reality to people, and, and they they brought people into this quote-unquote real world and what they did is is 
often brought in on dysfunctional situations and then it normalized dysfunctionality. It made, made people think that this is all real life and emulated this kind of behavior from watching, you know, little bits are taken. Like I said before, before shows were obviously shows, you know, back in the 80s and before that, and make-believe, it, but this is this was supposed to be reality. And, and they what they did is they dramatized polarities, racial polarities, or gender, or, or sexual. And at the time uh, of the pushing out, at the same time, I think, of all this PC agenda. So it was all working in, in many strands. And people mirror what they watch. They take on forms of what they watch. Little bits here and there. Jerry Springer, I mean, took it to the extreme. I mean, you know, drama is entertainment. And, and this introduced strange sexuality to people. Strange situations that were probably really scripted. But, I mean, situations like, I, I like my husband better as a woman. And, you know, or, you know, weird situations of violence and sexuality and profanity, too, reaches peak during the 90s. Uh, and everything just really, you know, was kind of boiling out of control. And this was the beginning of what I would say boiling point. And, and, and then um, MTV. MTV brought out the, the real world show. That was like the first reality TV show when it stopped. And they actually, you know, started doing other things in videos. And that's when it really, that really took on this, um, I would say, more evil evil uh, programming than, than even the music videos, if you can imagine. And if you look at crime statistics, crime peaked in the early 90s and has been declining a lot less since, but there was a real elevation there, and I, that is not by accident, you know? And this is the, sta- the destabilization agenda at work here. I mean, taking the strongest thing we have as unity, which is family, and dragging it through the gutter. And that's what happened. People separated, uh, families raised by extreme violence on a screen, and then projecting it outwards into a society. And out of this period was born the beginnings also of the New World Order agendas that have been have now come into fruition. I, I mean, that what they had to do is they had to dumb down and destabilize society so this stuff could properly be brought in with... You know, without a like a, a sharp, open-minded society to question it, we got this dumbed-down foundation already laid down, so no problem. In in the mid to late '90s, I mean, uh, other things like chemtrails started as a full-scale operation. That's when when it really hit the skies, and people didn't really notice. And of course, they still really don't notice. And and this is before smartphones were distracting people. So I mean, it just just shows you how easy it was for people to manipulate a dumbed down, uh, unquestioning society. And the Oklahoma City bombing, you know, nine eleven was so big that Oklahoma City was dwarfed by it. But that was really Oklahoma City was America's first big false flag terrorist event. And, and there's a lot more to look at with that story, and that would digress this whole talk. But take a look into it. See what you think yourself. I mean, there were um, obviously more than one bomber, and you can go into that if you like. But this was what this was was a precursor to the Patriot Act. You know, if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't have had the the uh, they wouldn't have had the 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 
progression going toward the Patriot Act at, when 9-11 happened if they didn't have Oklahoma City, City first. And there were other things going on, too. I mean, like the, uh, the Waco, Texas, the, uh, see, the, was it the siege of <clears throat> it was a Branch Davidians? And I, I've read that there was a lot more to that story, and I, I really don't know the, the specifics. I've, 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 you forget what you read sometimes, and, and it's not really that important to today, but it is in a way, too, because uh, this, that's when I first noticed the ATF. They just show up out of nowhere. First time I'd heard of them, and then they and they go in and burn the place down. It's just like you know they killed kids in there, innocent people, just being being um, and on TV, getting us and us uh, getting us getting us used to seeing things like that. And the beginnings of militarized cops, uh, martial law tactics, via the problem reaction solution of upping the crime on purpose and creating a need for this kind of militant force, and that was done on purpose. And also, the 90s is when the left-right paradigm begins to really polarize uh, two sides. Before the 90s, there wasn't really nearly as, as many divisive issues in America. I mean, it, it wasn't as, as uh, it really wasn't that, that pronounced. Uh, what I noticed personally, too, is that, that uh, there was a lot of switching sides around that time because of the uh, newer uh, liberal agenda that was supporting things that the religious side did not uh, approve of, such as gay rights and abortion. And so that's, you know, some people that used to be Democrats were switched to the other side. So there's a lot of like, you know, manipulation going on at this particular time. And it's all bullshit. And, you know, you, you know that if you're a listener to Chan Down Radio. Also, what I noticed personally is the corporate workplace begin to take over. It really, it really, the big corporations really started to take over. Small businesses were less and less and more people than ever worked for larger corporations and their ridiculous policies I mean, so much so that movies like Office Space, which is a cult classic, came out to express exactly the sterile, non-human uh, work environments that were basically everywhere, and um, just you know, just do- treating us down, uh, treating us like 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 secondary human beings, and still do to the day. But this is the when it this is where it really started to ramp up right, in the nineties. And and there then there was mandatory drug testing. It's it's nobody's business what you put in your body. That's that's you. That's your body. You take care of yourself. If you are a, a shitty worker, then you'll get fired regardless. But anyway, I understand if somebody's using heavy machinery. But it, it, it I mean you don't want some crackhead operating a bulldozer. But I think there should be a better screening process of of you know judging someone by. Uh, personality and I don't know just you know watching somebody instead of drug testing that's their own personal body but anyway it became a trend uh and this happened actually in the late 80s and you'll notice that at, when I was I had on uh, uh Mark Devlin on episode 111 and we talked about how decade programming and it's always toward the end of a decade that things start getting put in and so then the next decade they carry it through so here uh 
Here's this. To support Reagan's policy on a drug-free workplace, Congress soon passed the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 1988 and the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1988. Both pieces of legislation created a framework to expand drug testing to federal contractors and other policies to reduce the amount of drug use in the workplace. Soon afterwards, the Department of Transportation passed the Omnibus Transportation Employee Testing Act of 1991, initiating drug testing as a requirement for all DOT truck drivers. Well, then again, there it is. And then after that, it crept into every workplace, and it just started to become everyone's policy. And, you know, what if you want to smoke a joint? You know, most people are not hard drug users. Yeah, there is quite a few people that are. And unfortunately, from this time era and and this whole progression I've been talking about, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there there are people that just like to enjoy themselves, and they don't like to drink. And And, and these also... This time period, the 90s, these were the first generations on, on introduced to technology. The internet started in, in around 1995. And I remember we had computer classes to integrate with technology. And it, it, it was also the last analog decade. That's when um, things started to traverse over. But I, I mean, I still had, I still think about analog things just because I was raised in that time period, you know, and that's when they were trying, that's what they were trying to do with this, this, this period is integrate us with, you know, machines first, and the home computer came out, the internet came on, remember dial-up internet, you, you could hear that noise if someone was on the internet, and noise, you know, and, and there were, there were no cell phones, really, I mean, there were, they existed, but they, they they weren't until the late 90s, at least, in society. I had one. Uh, I bought it for just a stupid reason, you know? I wasn't the deepest person and always thinking about this stuff. I bought one just out of... In 1997, because I thought it would be cool. And it really was like... Only, only, it just made you look like a drug dealer. <laughs> because that's all, the only people that really had them. You know, before that, everybody had pagers. I mean, if you... And if you... You know, back in the day, I mean, people just had regular... In the 90s, people had corded phones still. And and sure, there was antenna phones. But I remember, you know, coming from the lower income side, most of us still had the corded phones. And if you wanted to talk in private, you had to take a long corded phone into another room. And you always knew that, like, if you went over to somebody's house uh, in my age group, that you knew that that somebody had a girlfriend or a boyfriend because they were, you know, talking on the corded phone and would go underneath the door and, you know, there was someone in there, you know, trying to have a private conversation. But, you know, the 90s, crazy time. All in all, I'm glad that I experienced the 90s. If you're younger than me, then you missed out on an important time that we won't get back. Uh, And even though messed up, the 90s, they were... I think ultimately better times than now, really. I'm I'm part of the generation that experienced owning media, being part of the world before it became so digital. Uh, kind of, we have sort of like one foot in the past and one in the future. We are this transitional generation. And some call uh, millennials or Generation Y. You know, I always thought I was Generation X, and millennials were people born after 2000, but I guess I was wrong. So, um, 
whatever. Uh, but with my generation so messed up and, and now raising kids, these next generations don't have any grounding in life without technology, life without Wi-Fi, uh, life without knowing about this dysfunction. Not that every situation has it, but I mean, look at look at the family unit nowadays. A marriage lasts 10 years at tops. Really, everybody breaks up. It's like no one stays together anymore. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, the, my generation now, we, we remember life without chemtrails uh, in our skies, full force. Uh, before the military had full spectrum dominance. Before the the left-right paradigm got so polarized, before the massive corporate mergers and takeovers of employment and the treating of employees like like slaves, uh, life before major false flags and school shootings, before before these PC agendas. So so much has ramped up from these times. So you see why I did this episode to really show you the, some of the origins of where this was going. Uh, and in order to build a new world order, the elite needed to build it up, up off of a generation that was built on little morality and little knowledge of history, of going back, and each generation more crumbled to the next since the beginning of putting that stupid TV in your living room and since then just crumbled and crumbled and crumbled. And now the screen in your hand so you can continue to be debased and degraded and manipulated and that's it and then turn up the cost of living and you got people so busy and dumbed down that it's a piece of cake for the manipulators to do what they do now and at the same time i think it's it's important though those of us from this time who are actually awake we have the knowledge that the next generations don't as we hurl into this world of ai 5g everything automated so this this if this episode is an important look at at a, a time period where dysfunctionality became the norm. We're taking a look at the step before the next phase of the new world order. This is the this is the precipice right here. So now you see how we got here, and and this whole thing is stepping stones. It's not just an isolated decade. The steps before were stepping stones, and now we're here in 2019. And all of these times I'm going over were those stepping stones to here and what we're dealing with now and what we're continuing to deal with, censorship, all this stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's all coming in like like snowballing. So uh, these those little things from the 90s grew into what 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 is now. And the destabilization agenda created the, the grounds for the global agendas to move forward. It created, it, it, it was like the catalyst in a way. And it, it's also important to understand this, we really, really need to get this kind of long view of history, deep understanding of our manipulation out. So people understand that. And, and that's what this series of shows really gives you is the deep understanding of our manipulation and to understand that it's not an isolated thing, but it's been happening and it's happening full force agenda now. So, yeah, that's the Tell Live Vision Visions 
uh, series. And once you've gone through this series and you read the facts of who owns the corporate mainstream, it's undeniable of how we've been socially engineered. This is deep, deep, deep programming, my friends. This is autumn. This is really. We are just this product of time periods, and we are needing to claim life back. And if you can't see that, I can't help you. Well, let's close this out with a couple of quotes, a few quotes here. Uh, here, check this out. We'll know that our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. William Casey, CIA director, 1981. Or propaganda works best when those who are being manipulated are confident that they are acting on their own free will. Joseph Goebbels, Nazi politician in the 1930s. Or check this out. If we understand the mechanisms and motives of the group mind, it is now possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without them knowing it. Edward Bernays, nephew, of course, of Sigmund Freud, father of public relations. Oh, but what do these people know, right? Let's see what's on TV. Give me a glass of that fluoride water. Thank you. So where are we going now? Look at how many people have gone to the wayside from the government's destabilization agendas. Uh, synthetic drugs, media control through TV movies, music, pop culture, magazines. I mean, that's MK Ultra. The breaking up of the family unit and just the simple distancing and removal from nature, our, our life base. I mean, look, look what kind of society we have from it. And it's all created a broken, manipulated people that don't know up from down. And it's so important to understand that this is not humanity's natural state, that we've been manipulated. And there's so much more to life. If you have kids and you're from my generation and awake to all of this, you're the only link to a world before these strands of our, our culture creators were so heavily around. You're a survivor of a serious agenda. And you should give yourself a pat on the back for coming out the other side. Uh, but get away from mainstream culture or pop culture and all that. I mean, I was just thinking about it. Uh, if you take put another O in the word pop, it becomes poop, and that's poop culture, and it's total shit, so we need to get away from it. What we need to do is we need to bring a wholesome world back that's backed by natural law that undoes what the elite has created, a consciousness change on the earth, and that's the only way it's going to happen, a new reason to exist, not just for money or making a living and everyday money through Friday life, but to exist for a higher purpose, to have more of a purpose, to educate others about this information, how to fight it and get connected with the miraculous universe and the life force, and that's the greatest work you can do, and not raise your kids to perpetuate this nonsense any further and bring light back into the world. Can we do it? Well, I think we can. Coming with the life force, I'm like a lighted torch. Coming through the darkness as I start this and embark this on a journey so we can be turning and twisting. I'm like that lighted torch in the neighborhood. All the neighbors are good and everybody's good, so come on in. Come on and grab a few chairs. Let me tell you about the future. Well, let me tell you about the past because we've been blasted with a lot of amount of media mind manipulation. Everybody's been listening to the same station and they've been 
the taken All this stuff to make them stagnant The media pacification tool The TV's the pacification tool Make you pacified and drool when you're in alpha state When you're looking everything as around you It makes you stagnant And not be like a magnet Well it means like a magnet Attraction only the bad stuff So the media lies and you've been living this And now the media lies are living with you And you've been assimilating And now you have to try to get out And just unhook, unhook And read a book And do something to cook good food So you can get out and get the nutrients The nutrient density Because I've been coming out with the intensity As I begin to see the way that we can get the route out of this About out of this Because we have to do the math to try to grab you And just get out of the mind fog Because people have been doing this for so long They've been manipulating generations of dysfunctionality Dysfunction, need to function We need to come from the way that we need to be To get on the same page and get away from the weeds That be growing within us, within us You know, you need to be working harder than doing chin-ups Because we got to get the pen up off And start writing and start gliding and start nicely putting this together.